Our second reading today is Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Uh, But before we come to that, let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come now before you to hear you speak to us. Your word is precious to us, Lord. It is is your truth written down for us to hear and to heed. Lord, uh, by your spirit, be at work in us, helping us to listen, helping us to take hold of what you have to say to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, uh, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. We've spent uh, some time in First Samuel uh, over the last months. We've come to finish that and now we change and we move to the New Testament. Uh, it's not a different message, uh, but sometimes it's a clearer message. Uh, in Old Testament times, the Lord communicated his salvation uh, through need, through trials, uh, through shadows and symbols of the things to come. Uh, even when Jesus uh, walked this earth and preached to the people, uh, there was some roundaboutness uh, to his message because the cross was still to come and because the resurrection was still to come. But with his resurrection and ascension to heaven and his sending of his spirit into the world, the gospel message was sent out and the message was clear as crystal. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That is the opening message of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Of the books we have in the New Testament, nearly half of them are written by Paul. Uh, Here he is writing to the churches in Galatians. In Galatia, where were they? Well, Galatia was, well, what we consider to be Turkey, probably the middle part of that, going from south, bordering the Mediterranean, up to the north to the Black Sea. And within that area uh, were the towns of Derby, Lystra, Iconium and Pisidian Antioch in the south, which Paul had visited in his journeys. And in these places uh, were churches that he had planted. And they were made up of people of many nations, uh, but also Jews. And this is who uh, Paul is likely uh, writing to. Uh, Paul in his journeys would plant churches. That was his role. That was the thing that he did. And he would appoint elders to lead the people uh, and some of those to teach them. And then Paul would uh, revisit churches he planted to encourage them and strengthen them in the faith. And Paul would write to them. Uh, But often others would come by, uh, some who taught truly and sometimes others who talked falsely. And at some point after planting the churches in Galatia, word came back to Paul that something was wrong in those churches. 
Either someone from Galatia had brought word to him or another missionary or apostle who had seen what was happening there had brought back word to Paul. Things were not going well. They were going backwards. Some people had begun to pollute the gospel message, to twist it and rob people of the truth. And so Paul, caring for them as he did, uh, writes to the churches in Galatia to bring them back on track. How would you begin such a letter? A standard introduction might be Paul to the churches in Galatia. But he's written more than that, hasn't he? He begins his letter by writing, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Paul starts by reminding the Galatians of his calling. This is something that Paul will emphasise in this letter. And it matters because the message that Paul brought before and the message that he brings now is not actually his message. He is an apostle. And that means one sent with a message. And he has a message to deliver. And that message he carries is from Jesus Christ and God the Father. In the Bible, the word apostle can be used in two ways. It has a general meaning, which just merely means one sent. Uh, but it also has a special meaning, and you might like to think of it as a, an apostle with a capital A. And that means a person with a direct calling from Jesus Christ, uh, himself, in person, face to face, not via a dream or a feeling, but a calling from Jesus Christ in person. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead and even after he had ascended into heaven, actually turned up and spoke to Paul face to face on the road to Damascus. And Jesus told Paul to go to the nations, carrying the message that Jesus asked him to bring. This is important because the message Paul brings is the word of Christ. It is the word of God the Father. Paul was not speaking a message that he invented or worked out or received from other men even, but he spoke a message on behalf of Jesus Christ and God the Father. That makes it God's message. And because that's whose message this is, it makes it the most important message in all the world. Some people treat the word of God with disdain. They reject it without even reading it. Uh, others, and this is common even in the church, people will read it and they'll evaluate it and they'll decide which parts to believe and which parts to set aside. But the whole of the word of God is truth, every word of it. And so we can't set it aside or disregard it or accept some parts and reject others. The one who created all things has something to say to his creation and all the things he wants us to hear, to know and to believe are written in his word. No less the letter of the Galatians. Paul is an apostle sent with a message from Jesus Christ and God the Father. Uh, but he's also not alone in carrying that message. Uh, nor is he alone in establishing the credibility of that message he carries. He writes to the Galatians along with all the brothers who are with him. 
See, the Galatians were straying from the gospel. They were off track. And Paul wanted to correct them. But he's not alone. Christian brothers alongside Paul were also desiring to correct those who were going astray. A fellowship, you see, is important for Christians. Even wider fellowship than the immediate group that's around you. The message of the gospel is constantly under threat. False teachers add to the gospel, take away from the gospel and, and turn people away from the truth. And Satan is constantly at work in the world to discredit the gospel message and to put it out of reach. And on top of that, every one of us is quite capable of diving down some theological rabbit hole and losing sight of the truth and what Jesus actually has to say. Without fellowship, without discussing the important things with fellow Christians, we can actually be left vulnerable. We can wander we could be lost. The Galatians needed to be rebuked for their waywardness and there were brothers in Christ with Paul willing to step in and help. But would the Galatians listen? Who would you listen to if someone, if, if you were going astray? If you were going down some, some rabbit hole with your theology, if you were kind of getting caught up in thinking the wrong things. Who would you listen to? Would you even stop to listen and take care to judge even your own thoughts and assumptions? Are you capable of accepting correction? Are you teachable? Paul and all the brothers with him hoped that the Galatians were teachable. The Galatians need a reminding of the gospel message. Uh, Paul writes from verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Paul normally opens up his letters with uh, a word of thankfulness, but it's not present in this letter. Paul cannot be thankful for what is going on in Galatia. He is concerned. Instead of opening up with rebuke, Paul opens up with grace and peace. He opens with grace and peace, but the centre of what he has to say is the source of that grace and peace. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That is the centre of Christ's message to his people among the nations. He has given himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We live in an evil age, don't we? There is so much grief and strife in this world. The Bible even says that it is Satan who rules this world. He actively clouds the judgment of people and keeps them from even hearing the word of God. And so sin and wickedness reign in this world. There's war, anger and violence. There's strife of every kind. This is the current age. But this age is just an age. It will come to an end one day. 
And God will bring his judgment upon this evil age and he will bring it to an end. His wrath will be poured out upon it and lives will be destroyed. Life, as we know it, will cease to exist. And a new age will be ushered in with new heavens and a new earth and a new creation where sin and wickedness are no more. The problem is that we have been part of this evil age. There isn't one of us who hasn't participated in it and contributed to it. Even now as Christians, we still participate in the wickedness of the world. The world is oppressed with the darkness of sin and it is the same darkness that is in all of us. You have sinned. You still do. We all do. All of us are guilty of sin and it is the same sinfulness that darkens the world, the same sin that God is going to bring his judgment down upon. And in judgment, all your sins would stand against you. All the times you rejected God, all the times you rebelled against his ways, all the times you didn't listen to him, all the times you weren't as loving as you could have been, all the times that you did what was wrong, all these sins are deserving of God's wrath and judgment. You may not understand the seriousness of your predicament, but it is serious. You need to understand that at the end of your life you will be standing before God and he will judge you for all you have done. All you have failed to do, even for those things you have thought. And what are you going to say? Are you going to blame the circumstances? Because that won't work. It doesn't matter. Maybe you'll say, well, I'm better than the next guy. But I tell you, there's someone who is better than you who is still going to be punished, looking at you going, I'm better than the next guy. The only person who can actually argue that line is Jesus Christ himself. He is the only one who never sinned. Everyone else is the worst guy. We have no right to salvation All we have earned for ourselves is the right to be judged. But Jesus gave himself for our sins. And we know the centre of that is the cross. He took the punishment that should have been ours. He took upon himself all the wrath of God for our sins. Only he could pay that price for all our sins because only he had no debt of his own to pay. But because of what he has done, all who trust in him will be exempt from judgment. Exempt because he has already paid the price for us. Because he has already given himself for our sins. Now, God is perfect uh, in every way. If every sin deserves punishment, 
God must punish that sin. But once the sin has been punished, it cannot be punished again. That would be unjust. That would be like when a, a wife pays the parking fine for a husband when he parked his car in the wrong place. And then because the government found out later that, well, okay, hang on, that was the husband that parked there trying to ask for the fine to be paid again. It doesn't need to be paid twice. That would be unjust. The debt is paid, you can't ask for it to be paid again. And for us, Christ has paid the penalty for all our sins. And so when you were in Christ, God cannot bring judgment upon you for your sins anymore. It's done. When you were in Jesus, you were freed from God's condemnation. You are freed from your sins. And by doing that, Jesus has rescued us from the present evil age. We are rescued from the judgment that will fall on this evil age. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He also rescues us from its power. Because we've all been part of this evil age. We've been contributors to it. And because we have, Jesus also draws us out of it. We remain in this world for the moment, but we are not part of the world anymore. We are granted new hearts, new minds. We are even given his spirit to dwell within us. And we begin to see things differently, do things differently from the world. This world is utterly evil and wicked. This age is evil and we become separated from it. We begin to taste the things of the age to come. We sense the good that can be and we desire that good for ourselves and for others. We begin to be able to discern the wickedness in the world for the evil that it is and we begin to stand apart. We find company in the fellowship of believers. We enjoy those days where we stand faithfully and we rue those days when we fail to live up to God's will for our lives. We begin to cleanse our lives of sin. And this happens because Jesus has rescued us from the power of the present evil age. You couldn't do it otherwise. It wouldn't be possible. There should be differences between a Christian and the average person on the street. There has to be. As a church governed by Christ through his word, we strive to stand apart from the world. There are, there, are, there are too many Christians that spend their time thinking about how to better connect with the world rather than how to get themselves out of it. Rather, rather than how to stop thinking like the rest of the world. Rather than thinking about how do we stand closer to Jesus. The world is not on the same path as the Christian. They're heading the wrong way. They're heading, heading down that wide path that leads to destruction. So you cannot stand with the world. Jesus has rescued us from that. 
It's worth pointing out here that Paul doesn't separate Jesus' work from the Father's will. Everything that Jesus has done was done according to the will of God the Father. Some Christians look at God the Father as as the harsh one and and Jesus as the loving and gracious one, but, but that's not the reality. That's not the truth. See, God the Father and the Son of God are one. And the Son acts according to the Father's will. The Father is not less loving than the Son in any way. The Bible doesn't say Jesus so loved the world, does it? It says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that all who would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That love that Christ has for us is the same love that the Father has for us. And it is that love for us which brought about this great rescue. Paul writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Jesus Christ's work is the source of the grace and peace that the Apostle Paul was sent to offer to the nations. The peace that Paul announced to the nations was not just any peace, but peace with God. See, when Jesus gave himself for our sins, the price for your sins was paid. And that means that God looks upon those who are in Christ differently. He looks upon us with favour, not with judgment. We are at peace with God. And that peace is a peace which can't be broken. In Christ, you are at peace with the Lord. When we look for peace in the world, you won't really find it. Even when a war ends, there is always ill feeling left over. There's not just physical damage that is done, but psychological and even spiritual damage. Sin remains, ill feelings remain, and history often repeats itself. And even if a longer term peace is found, there is always a fear that remains that what has happened before will happen again. And then, of course, there are always new reasons for a war to be found. But the peace that we have through Christ with the Lord is different. Once you are in Christ, there is not a chance that peace with God will be withdrawn. Because when you are in Christ, your sins, all of them, have been dealt with. And so the only things that remain in view for the Lord are the things that you have done in Christ and for Christ. The things that you have done well. The things for which your heavenly Father will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all that is left. And with this kind of peace, there is no fear. Only thankfulness. Thankfulness on our part, but also from the Lord. 
Can you imagine that kind of peace in this world? Does that ever happen? Where a war comes to an end and everybody is thankful for each other? This peace that we have with God is amazing. There is none like it. But what is even more amazing is this peace comes to us by grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's rescue comes without cost to you. It cost him. He had to give himself up. He gave his life for us. But it costs you nothing. All you need to do is to look for him for help. And he gives it. See, the gospel message is not about what you need to do. The gospel message is all about what Jesus has already done for you. It's the message of the cross. That the price for our sins is paid. It is the message of the resurrection. That what awaits us is eternal life and peace with God. It is the message about what Jesus did for you. Still we can get it wrong. Some Christians think they deserve God's grace. Do you deserve God's grace? Sometimes it's the power of belief. That's, I believe, so I deserve it. Sometimes it's, oh, well, my life hasn't been so bad, and so I deserve it. Is your life the kind of life that you expect that God should save? Your sins say otherwise. And any sin, no matter how small, brings condemnation. Your life, all that you have done, matters nothing when your sins stand against you. No one deserves God's salvation in Jesus Christ. It is a salvation that he freely bestows upon you, not one that you have earned, not one that you can earn. It is by grace that we have been saved. The other way we can get this wrong is to, is to get caught up in knowing that we're not yet worthy to receive God's grace. You know that you're not good enough to receive it and so you become unwilling to receive it. As if somehow you need to get your life on track before you can accept it. How many times have you seen people go, oh, I won't get baptised yet. I'm not ready yet. I haven't turned my life around enough to receive that. Of course you're not good enough. None of us are. But that's the point of the rescue. That's, that's why he needed to give himself up. If you could have fixed things up enough or have been worthy of it, he wouldn't needed to have rescued you. 
See, he rescues you despite your sin. This is grace. You can't rescue yourself and you'll never be worthy of being rescued. But he does it anyway. He does it out of love for you. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. He did it all. Do you know your sin and your need of him? Have you placed your life in his hands? This is the call of the gospel. It is the call of Jesus Christ. It's the call of God the Father. He asks you to place your life in his hands and he offers you peace and grace. Do you hear him today? For those of you already in Christ, we need reminding of these things. Our sinful nature will deny our own sinfulness and our need for change. And the world will constantly bombard us with ideas that deny the power of the gospel message. The idea that the Son of God would come into the world to rescue us and bring peace with God is an idea that the world finds foolish. Worldly satanic wisdom is to find strength in yourself, to earn your way, to find your own way, whatever that might be, and to deny that judgment is deserved by anyone. And while you remain in the world, these ideas will be constantly thrown your way. Sometimes you'll even believe it. We need reminding of the gospel because this is the most important message in all the world. It's the only message that brings life and peace with God. It is the only message that brings real salvation with the living God. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this reminder of your grace and your mercy towards us, this reminder of the peace that we have with you that has been given to us through your Son, Jesus, gave himself up for our sins. Lord, we confess and before you that we are sinners and in need of your Son. We are in need of his salvation. So we thank you, Lord, deeply for your love and your grace. Lord, we pray for those of our family and our friends with whom we have been sharing the gospel from time to time. Our Lord, it is hard for us to say the right words and sometimes hard for us to find the time or the right moment. Lord, grant us wisdom as we share the gospel with others. Help us to know when to be silent and when to speak up. May our words always be filled with love and grace.
and humility. Lord, we thank you for your encouragement and all that we have in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.